Have yourself a merry little Christmas in Connecticut. Lucas and Zach podcast. From now on, your troubles will be words about Christmas. Okay. That's good. I'm off. Yeah. Thank you. Was, was the looking up at the sky like just hopefully praying that you could remember the words to the song? Yeah. I didn't realize I didn't know the words until I got there. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is actually. Long I, did I, did I blow my load too early because now we can never do a Meet Me in St. Louis episode because I already ruined the song? Yeah, we can do it. We'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I have a long standing take I've had is that 99% of people think they know Christmas songs and don't. Like if you actually tested the majority of Americans on like the words or even just the relative tune of a Christmas song, I think people would fail miserably, but everyone would be really confident in their abilities going into it. Cause it's one of those things. You, like, it's all music. But Christmas music, especially we hear in such a passive light. It's every Christmas. It's sort of just like in the background, it's in the store, it's on the radio. Like we hear it in so many different ways, but I don't think we ever like truly engage with it. So I think there's a lot of people that just like, they think you know it really well. It's like major movie franchises that everybody thinks they know really well. And then you ask them 10 questions that are deeper than who plays Luke Skywalker. And suddenly they start flailing around. Yeah. That's my take. I mean, so I feel like you're just t- picking on my level of intelligence, which can't go deeper in anything. <laughs> when I sing songs, I just make sounds that approximate to what they're saying. This is why you're a great father, because you and Theo are on roughly the same level when it comes to songs. You sort of have the tune and then like three of yeah. the words. And you just kind we of are really. Yeah, we're really good at laws. We, me and him can both law really well. Um, he ooze a little better than me, but I'm working on my ooze. Ooze. How are you yodeling? Do you have good yodeling? Yeah. I feel like I want to see you and Theo do like some do a yodeling soundtrack together. <laughs> really solid. Yeah, I don't think he has that much technique yet. We'll work on it. All right. All right. Um, welcome, folks, to the Lucas and Zach podcast discussing Christmas music and people's abilities to sing it. Um, it's the final episode of the wonderful Barbara Stanwyck Month, and we are talking mm. the main film, Christmas in Connecticut. Um, typically, we would start with Last Letterbox Movie, and we are going to start with it, but with a slight twist. Rather than presenting two separate films, we did a little bit of a mini segment covering, uh, we wanted to talk about Remember the Night, which is the other yeah. Barbara Stanwyck film that we had originally planned to cover until realizing that at the time of recording, it was basically impossible to acquire anywhere online, legally or otherwise. And um, Don't gotta let the otherwise out of the bag. Just say that's just legally. No, I'm just saying in the context of like, this is one of these movies that like legitimately the only way to get it was to go on to Amazon and buy a DVD version of it and have it sent to you. And then that the timing didn't work out. Um, But they added it to the Criterion channel. And so we both watched it. And Zach, tell us what you thought of Remember the Night. Yeah, Remember the Night, real chill. It's just like a relaxing movie. Um, And it's still, there's a lot of similarities to Christmas Connecticut if it is like, took some sleeping pills and calmed it down and slowed it down a little bit. It's still a comedy, but I've never seen her more just this relaxed position. Some of the, a lot of the setup, um, you know, she still is essentially a criminal. She's, she, you know, she stole, there's still this kind of goofy um, screwball plot, but the screwball energy is just taken out of it in a way that I found really, yeah, calming, uh, like a nice warm fire um, around the Christmas. And it makes the, you know, puts the romance, um fully in the center and a little more fleshed out and i think real for as much as a romance that develops in like three days time can be um for classic movies i found it really charming and um i know we talked about um fred mcmurray last episode and i kind of hinted at my thoughts on him and this who i think he's just spectacular in this movie because i do think he's the best at going again toe-to-toe with Stanwyck and um, all the movies we have watched someone that can can share the same energy you know he's kind of playing the noble man in this but someone that has the intelligence that can match with Stanwyck that I think really works in this yeah it's uh one of the few movies I think that we talked about where 
legitimately McMurray might be better in the film yeah. than Stan Wick is. It's like it's the only one you can even make that argument. If you watch the other ones, there is no argument that Stan Wick is not the best part of Lady Eve, and definitely no, definitely uh, not for Ball of Fire or Chanto or Christmas in Connecticut or even you know Double Indemnity has variety of characters. Yeah, but this is interesting. This is it's so it's sort of in the same vein of Devil Indemnity, which she also does with Fred McMurray, um, except she's a little bit less villainous. No. Um, he doesn't get he is, yeah, she's a little more sympathetic, but also like not necessarily a great person. She does sort of try to steal, and it's never clearly. She's we're never given an indication. We're never given an indication that she's stealing because of a need. Um, versus, like, just kind of wanting stuff. There does seem to be a I little bit of, like... I think it's a need. They make it seem like she's gone on hard times because she had a fine out with her family and she's just been trying to, like, survive in New York. So I think it's based on need. I think that's the explanation of her background. But I don't think it's... I don't think it's given to us as a sympathetic need. Like, it's not like yeah. she needs to steal this, otherwise she can't eat or will ache or be homeless. Like, it always feels like a little... There always seems to be a tinge of... She's stealing because she wants to maintain a certain level of lifestyle rather than just maintain a lifestyle. Um, and then, you know, it's a really fun. They go on a trip. They almost get arrested in a field. They have like a funny scene. Yeah. There's like a lot of really good like bits, a lot of really good bits. They show up to um, McMurray's parents' house and his mom, played by Bula Bondi, who is also in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, is really wonderful. And there's just like, and there's like great. Um, oh my gosh, Ryan Blanco's movie that was in my top 100. Um, it happens, make it happen tomorrow. Oh my gosh, what's the name of this movie? What are you talking about? It's a old person romance movie from the early 40s that she's in. And I'm blanking on the movie, I'm gonna tell you in approximately 10 seconds. All right, make I'm way for tomorrow. Time. Make way for tomorrow. I haven't seen this film. Um, yeah, it's what's also a criteria. You should watch that, and we'll talk about that next episode in many segments. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Uh, the only reason we did this is because this is the other Christmas film related to Barbara's Demick. Um, but yeah, it's a really just a really fun film. Uh, I always, I think the first time I watched both of them, I liked Remember the Night more than Christmas in Connecticut. And on rewatch, I think I switched back slightly. There are they are very close together, um, and while both enjoyable for Christmas, have a different vibe going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Christmas really... Connecticut is a pure comedy. And it just works for... for it's much lighter. Part. It's much lighter. Yeah. Um, remember the night I... is sexy as fuck. And yeah. um, Stanwyck yeah. is a absolute, like, knockout in this film. Like, she looks amazing in this. It's one of the, like, the most, like... You're like, wow, I completely understand why the studio would let her do whatever role she wants for, like, years... Because she is just, she just, there is something about her on screen that is different from other people. And yeah, yeah. I think Remember the Night is like a really good example of that. One, one last comment I want to make before we move on is yeah, just absolutely. how different this movie would be if it was made in like the modern studio system, that they would feel the need to add so much um, more drama, more so much more hyped up um, stakes to it. But when she, you know, goes to his house, Fred McMurray's family's house, um, and even when, his mom finds out she's a criminal. Everything's still kind of chill about it. She's still like so respectful. It's not like this big secret that you have to deal with. That I think in the in a modern movie would be hanging over. It's like what happens when you reveal the secrets and all the anger and the drama that comes out from this. But there's still such a like a respectability between all the characters, such a, a real humanity that they can share rather than there's a lack of judgment that all the characters have for each other. They think we just don't have the patience to show um, in modern movies that were more about how do we, you know, create drama. So I, I found that very delightful. So when I yeah. talk about this movie warm, I think a lot of it comes from that. Yeah, it, you're right. The point I think you made the best way to describe it is it's very chill. Like it has moments of real passion of characters really falling to each other. It has moments where big reveals occur. You know, you realize that like how terrible Danwick's parents were. You have moments where, McMurray's family has to realize why Stanwyck is there with him and like doesn't have options and even like there's a lot of scenes in this film that could be really ratcheted up to be like explosive powerful big scene and the restraint is like really kind of part of why it works it's just they kind of just let the story happen 
even the way that they don't moralize about what Stanwick did, like you, you're introduced to her as a thief through a court case where you have a kind of goofy lawyer to decide, make a mistake and potentially connect it to a mental illness. And then McMurray's seen as he's like the hero, but he's also a bit of a dick because he pulls this move. So she gets locked up over Christmas and then he regrets it sort of regrets it and then bails her out and then they go together and it's just like the way that the movie really lets it just unfold in front of you without judgment is i think a real credit to the director and the screenwriter like the way that they composed it was just quite impressive yeah um let's move on uh we talked our mini segment and let's talk about the main event we've got christmas in connecticut which is uh, a really fun, wonderful Christmas movie that everyone should watch every Christmas because it's not as good as It's a Wonderful Life, but it certainly deserves to be a companion piece uh, yeah. to the rest it's of the It's also working movie. on a different mood. So oh, 100%. It's a lighter, fun fare. It's not the emotional um, beats that It's a Wonderful Life has, but if you just want a nice, pleasant, it's like a great Christmas Eve movie. Well, I mean, Maybe in my world, we watch It's yeah. a Wonderful Life on Christmas Eve because that is the... Okay. Yeah, you got to do that. Um, but yeah, I what watch is, what is... CBC, my friend, Charlie Brown Christmas. That's Christmas Eve to me. Yeah, well, that's like 20 minutes long. So that's not like, I don't think that's not a full movie. <laughs> no, um, I watch a repeat. I, I, I t, t, TNT it, just play it all day or TBS. I, I'm, I'm, that sounds, I'm not going to lie. I like the film. That sounds, that sounds awful. <laughs> um, why don't Every you give us a key in, you get a very earnest speech by Linus. Why don't you give us a plot summary of, uh, Christmas in Connecticut, so our audience can uh, understand what we're talking about here. So, figure this. Barbara Stanwyck, she's involved in a little bit of a scheme, like every other movie we watch. The, um, her scheme this is she's a very famous, um, like, homemaking journalist, right, about, you know, what it's like to um, make a home in this farm out in Connecticut and, you know, cook nice meals and, and celebrate things. Um and to where a kind of military hero that survived on a raffy life of pirate without the animals um, for a number of days, um, to where he kind of fell in love with their article and that, and, you know, his like make a wish army version was to have that meal as his like first meal when he can eat solids again. Um, and it turns out she was all a fraud. This was all made up. She's, you know, the average New Yorker. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck character, she doesn't know how to cook. She was just, you know, writing fiction with some help from her uncle, played by Assy Sackle, the best actor that has ever lived. Um, and so they kind of go, um, her and her kind of um, suitor um, that, you know, constantly asks her to get married, but um, she, like, maintains friends, but, like, he's a little bit of a, a goober um, for her to want to marry. Um, she kind of agrees to marry him but then they go to and they form a plot on they find out he has a farm to to make this all happen seem real especially after finding out that the owner of the newspaper wants to join so she wants to keep her job so they have to make this seem real um so shenanigans happen um you know they have a lot of people in this house in connecticut and trying to make it seem real while also like trying to form a marriage ceremony to make the marriage seem official while trying to act like you have a baby and then babies keep switching um while and then her just being completely clueless about anything going on this farm so there's a lot of great um bits and shenanigans they do with how um everyone else seems so much more comfortable on the farm than she is it's supposed to be hers um and it's just delightful christmas very so yeah, I mean, it really does feel like a smaller version, scale version of Meet John Doe um, mixed with sort of a Cary Grant slapstick movie. Um, like, she basically creates this character, this author, who lives on a farm and has this baby and this husband and does all this cooking and stuff. And she lives in an apartment with no husband and no baby and no farm. And it's sort of like the Meet John Doe situation, except in this one, it's played for laughs rather than something more serious. Yeah. Because in this one, it, 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 it the problem occurs when she gets called on it by Sydney Greenstreet, the editor of the paper, who's like, we're going to all come down there and have Christmas dinner on your farm. Which, by the way, if your boss is ever like, can I have Christmas dinner on your farm? That's weird. Leave us alone. <laughs> 
it, it seems like he just like really likes good food and wants to eat a lot and he kind of wants to avoid his family on christmas well his family all wants him to eat like healthy and like <laughs> that's right yes and he literally makes a comment which is hilarious which is like in the film he's like um the healthy food and dieting is killing him with and the reason they made him diet was like he's way too overweight and has like health problems um I also think that the setup to this movie is hilarious. Like, the opening scene to this movie is, like, two random soldiers on a raft that you have absolutely no connection to. <laughs> like, it's a very funny opening because it's completely yeah. irrelevant. It's basically – you do not need to have it in the film. It's basically irrelevant to the rest of the film. You could just have a scene in the hospital of two guys. Like, the fact that they were on a raft or that they got shot down or whatever is completely irrelevant to the rest of the film. It's a very funny opening because it is – it makes you think that it's a completely different movie than what the movie ends up being. I mean, it's a it's a good scene. It's just a funny one. That, that that's there's the some that purpose to it as far as building an understanding of why he would put so much importance in his first meal because it's like just shows him starving and imagining this um, beautiful gourmet meal being given to him on this raft. So it, it sets like why does he care so much about being able to eat with her? So they make it you know seem tangible to us. Um, but it does propose him as like the main character. So you get a little bit more of spin when like five minutes later, it cuts to Barbara Stanwyck, who's the real one that we're following and, and kind of rooting for to pull off this weird bit. Um, what is the, is that after Robert Morgan? Dennis Morgan. So Dennis Morgan, that's someone I'm too familiar with, but like, he's just like a perfect charming um, yeah. romantic lead for him. Like he's not as important as some of the romantic leads in the other romantic comedies we've talked about in this um unit but i think he he's not the dope he is kind of the honorable man that can hold his own intelligence but and he, he doesn't have much last he's a straight man but he's just like perfectly charming for what this movie needs and makes the you know quick romance believable for that and i mean he looks like st stunning as he like enters in his military suit so you can oh, see yeah. how she like immediately falls for him instead of the goober um you know suitor she had He's very much a, a studio player leading man in that he does not have an actual personality or particular traits that makes you recognize him. He's one of those actors that you see him in a film and you instantly think you've seen him in a bunch of movies. And then you realize, oh, I haven't. I've just seen a bunch of other Dennis Morgans in other movies. Like he's that yeah. guy. They, like there are there are a hundred versions of that actor. And like he's like the guy his, next door. Like the male, yeah, he's the guy next door. door. Like, seems like someone that can exist in your suburban neighborhood that you all you know look up to, and seems like a nice, good old, you know, boy in that case. And now that's yeah. what he serves the purpose in this movie just to be a handsome, good old boy. He has his look, he has his look. He probably was in a hundred movies, he probably played the love interest in every single one of them. This is, I think, his most famous movie. Um, and he probably is just the person who got hired by like the studio identified him when he was younger and was like, okay, you're, an, you're a handsome dude. We're going to give you basic acting lessons and you're going to play the leading man in a hundred movies and that'll be your career. And like, you know, he's the one character in the main cast that is, he's not replaceable, but you could, you could do that performance with a hundred other actors in a way that you can't replace what green street or Stanwyck or um, Zalika, I believe his name is, is doing. Sackle is done. Um, S.C. Sackle, yeah. 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 Um, in, like Reginald Gardner, who's the bro, gets you know, to play up much more of a character, much more of this like earnest, try hard. Um, so to, to give a little bit of contrast to why you might like him um, over Reginald Gardner. Now I want to play a quick game. Um, okay. This should be a, a game anytime we play uh, or do a classic movie, um, but the answer is always going to be the same. <laughs> Um, what do you think Dennis Morgan's last credit was, which is pretty much the last credit of every like B list classic movie actor. Um, and it happens in 1980. 1980. I don't know how much you look at classic movie actors, but like everyone has this on their credits. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's the death of everyone's career. Three. It's one of those. I'm not gonna know Two. this if I'm not gonna. It's the love boat. Oh, of course it is. Everyone took a trip on love boat once they didn't have a movie for the past twenty years. Yeah, that makes sense right there. Yeah. Um. So, since I brought up Reginald Gardner, Reginald Gardner, 
who yep. plays um, John Sloan, who's um, the bro of Barbara Stanwyck, um, this like tryhard architect. I mean, that Bo is, I think largely Bo was stretching it. Bo Suter. is stretching. Suter is the word I used before. Now it's better. He's someone he trying to... to court her, but primarily yeah. what it seems like more as like a trophy wife. It's more as like for stature because that seems like his number one priority is how does he become like known as this you know, top tier architect, which cares much more than love. I mean, he and she's always very open with him, like saying, I don't love you. And he's just like, oh, you know, like, you can learn how to love me. And it's never really true whether he loves her or not, too. So it because he doesn't really come off as a horrible person, which I think I is why this character works. I think that's very um, specific because he's not a villain and he is like helping her out. And he just like his priorities are, are a little mixed up and he, and they say he's a tryhard, So he's just like obnoxious, but he doesn't do anything villainous, um, especially at least in the, like the 1940s. Um, say my like today, how hard he pushes to be a wife could be seen as horrible. Um, and he still has like a level of charm and, and that you can see how he can pull off this bit with her and come off as a husband. Um, so I think he, he has like the tightest rope to walk of any character because it's really easy to make this character seem villainous. Uh, but to make him someone that we, you know, enjoy watching and, and can still believe them to be like friends at the end and still believe everything gets up warm, you know, she ends up, you know, married <laughs> the other guy. Um, he, he, I think he's low key might be the second best performance after Stan Rick in this movie. Interesting. I think he, in the context of now, really codes as gay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And like, and like, Stanwick is the beard, um, the beard, to, yeah. pro to protect his relate his his um reputation as an architect. Because in the context of this time period, being the gay architect, while not unsurprising, would have been probably a, a detriment to his uh, career. Because it really does seem like he is. He seems to think that uh, there's like, I, I struggle to see even like an attraction. That is portrayed on scene. He doesn't even seem particularly into her. Like he wants her to marry him. It's that. It really does feel like he's decided that he wants her to marry him and that she and him should be together. But not in the context of like, I love this person. I can't imagine not being without them. More in the context of just like, she checks boxes. Like it seems like a very calculating move. And that's why, as the audience, when Starmick makes the last minute turn at the end of the film to Dennis Morgan, you're like, yeah, this makes sense. They want to fuck. They're the super hot couple with the chemistry, and um, Reginald Gardner's a little bit more of the guy who's like, she checks boxes on my checklist, and Dennis Morgan's like, let's jump in the yeah. head. It prevents it from making it feel like a betrayal, too. Like, he was led right. through dishonesty and other things because it's like he was never fully invested anyways. It was always just mutually beneficial for both of them at that point. She was scared of losing her job, and he was someone safe to marry. Um, right, he's the conduit to the farmhouse that they needed to keep yeah. up the ruse, and he was helpful in acquiring the baby and acquiring a lot of the the stuff that allowed them to pretend that she was actually the writer persona that she had created. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to keep going off things that get mentioned side by the baby, the best bit. I want to know your best bit. The baby bit going throughout is really funny and at one point very monstrous and i'll talk about that in a second but um the the like her complete lack of comfort with the baby at this uh, at the first time see it, which is the baby comes from uh, these kind of local women who work at a factory who just drop off their baby at this house to be uh, watched for the day. She's like, oh, we have a baby that we can, you know, go as our own. But she, like, has never seen this baby um, before. It's, like, out and with her and um, this Morgan. And so she, like, misgenders it until he, like, calls off. And she this is, like, where her acting, I think, is the best. The way she's able to pull off how, like, all oh, it was just, like, not not – a mistake and just to make it seem like he just misheard her um there's like some pretty ingenious comic acting um but also yes. when you know this morgan comes in he's just like such just like hyper confident person that the relief that barbara stanwick feels which is like more or less throws the baby into his arms like oh you can wash him then since you seem so comfortable um like she doesn't have to fight for this anymore um lovely bit Part of the bit is also that continues that is that there are two different babies from two different women who are working in a factory during war times. So at one point the baby ages about a year and a half potentially and starts talking <laughs> and is a different hair color and changes gender. Um, <laughs> and they make and, it work and make it believable for everybody. And then at one point, 
one of the women takes her comes and takes her baby back because obviously she'd like a baby back, and Sydney Greenstreet believes that somebody has stolen his newspaper's baby, which is uh, again, like a bit just watching Sydney Greenstreet like that's our newspaper's <laughs> baby. Like the actual yes. concern for the baby is very low. The concern for the idea that the baby, as it relates to the newspaper being stolen, is very high. I think the best bit of the film is anything related to Sydney Greenstreet and food. He randomly yeah. has gets really obsessed with it. He gets really particular about certain things. Like he really wants to watch people flip pancakes in front of him. It's not enough to just be served pancakes. He needs to watch them flip them in front of him. That's very important. Um, he's literally bribed at one point into rehiring Barbara Stanwyck in exchange for some cooked kidneys, which feels like one of the worst trades in the history of humanity. Why on earth would you pay somebody's salary so you could eat kidneys? Like, are kidneys good? Please, if you have an experience with kidneys, I've never eaten kidneys. If you have experience, please email us. Drop them down in the comment section. I would love to know if kidneys are actually worth eating. Mail us kidneys and we'll eat it live on air. No, don't mail us kidneys. We don't understand. <laughs> Do not mail us kidneys. Live That's, human kidneys. That please. does not. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we'll eat uh, it on our Science of the Lambs episode. Director Ray, I'm really sorry in case you're now listening to this. Zach did not mean for anyone to send us actual kidneys. You were talking about cooked kidneys from animals that you buy in a grocery store or potentially at a book. Cooked kidneys from the human animals that you buy in the black market, yes. This is really going to become a problem when you get arrested. If you have the podcast, has to get a new Um... There are several really good bits about the film. I mean, there's like my, there's like some really funny bits. Uh, the farming, anything to do with farming is also a bit. Basically, all the bits relate to Stanwyck's inexperience with the personality she should create. So the personality is a mom. Stanwyck has no idea what to do with the kid. The personality is a great cook. Stanwyck has no idea what to do in the kitchen. Like there are literally scenes in the film where like we'll have her flip a pancake and she literally shuts her eyes. And just does it and like just kind of hopes that it happens. And then the, like the final bit is um, anything to do with farm animals. She's supposed to live on a farm, but is clearly a city girl who has no idea, lets animals walks off, does silly, like just is like acts like generally like somebody who has no idea what farm animals are doing. And um, all those bits are really good. Yeah. Um, and just to add to the the Sunny Green Street's fruit obsession, just how like that's the the easiest way to like calm him down into his heart, because then like the prime of him feeling lied to and, and worried about his paper and his primary journalist, you know, being a fraud, he just immediately walks in and as he's Zacho's cooking, he's like, has no problem with anybody. Like, ah, you're cooking food, is this for me? Um, and then Essie Zackle, who's a real badass in this film, he's the smartest person in the movie. I love Essie Zackle. He, he is the one that like one is judging everyone around him and all the chaos happening, but he's also the one who solves everything. He literally ties up the, the ties of all the relationships and all the miscommunications of our Barbara Stanwyck's just like a really go-to uncle. Um, he, he makes everything clean for her, kind of pretty low-key um, to to where he, he he's just the one who knows what's going on. So when, when he comes in, like, are you cooking kidneys? He's like, no, you... Mess with my girl, Barbara Stanwyck. You get nothing. He's just like very loyal to her. Um, and you know this movie, I don't think would work without him because he is that he is like low key the centerpiece of this movie that like makes everything function around him. Well, he's the reason that you don't at any point get mad at Stanwyck for creating a false narrative of a woman who lives on a farm and is great at cooking. Because you learned really early on that she bankrolled his entire restaurant. She bankrolled this wonderful Eastern European man's restaurant where he cooks wonderful food. And there's so many. He's 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 just a wonderful presence. He's so petty in different moments. Like he literally, like at the end of the film, he gets Stanwyck her job back by literally saying, you give her her job back or you get no kidneys. Like, you know, there's a scene at the restaurant where he really doesn't like Reginald Gardner. So he kept throwing food on the guy's plate that he does, he's not going to like. Like there's a, there's, a, um, there's a scene where he's he's getting plates, he's putting stuff on plates for both Stamick and Gardner, and yeah. all the stuff he puts on Stamick's plate is clearly the stuff he's proud of and that she thinks she'll like. And he keeps putting like weird pickled things on on Gardner's plate <laughs> in an yeah. attempt to like make him sick. And he's always crapping on him. He has so many funny lines. 
you know, he gets asked all one time. pronunciations, which is kind of his bit as an actor at the time, because with his accent. But, like, the, so good, that's, my name is Catastrophe, because the whole time, he, that's, like, his catchphrase throughout the movie, because he learns what the word catastrophe is, but never learned to say it properly. Which is also a great bit, because he just asks some <laughs> random server at his restaurant, and the server <laughs> was, literally just word for word states the dictionary <laughs> definition of catastrophe in a wonderful bit. Um uh, it's so great. What's well, also really funny because it is – it's actually a really smart – and I don't typically like the sort of minstrelly African-American servant characters. Those are always kind of a rough yeah. look. Unruh. That moment makes that character worth it for me is the fact that they have this character and he's doing the typical – even the intonation, the sing-songy things. And then in that moment stops and delivers like the English dictionary definition yeah. of catastrophe is a really funny bit and also completely out of character for what that character has been set up to be. And um, is like the one redeeming thing about any kind of character like that, where you're just like, you know, on rewatch, you're like, eh, can we just have them let them talk like normal people? I, well, that, that one, I think he does. He talks very intelligently the whole movie. So I don't know you see, but there is some confusion because the, the, the dark oh. side of that is remember the night. Remember the night oh. has the, the, the um, kind of servant character that talks in um, that very broken up English that they um, the stuttering thing, you know, yeah. yeah. But no, this is they they treat their minority characters, even though they're all like the smallest, the smallest little like side players. They have like one line, but they they're I think treated with much more respect than a lot of characters or a lot of. Um, Actors of color did at that time with their roles. So this guy comes off as like super intelligent and like maybe memorized the dictionary. Um, so yeah. there's more dignity to his his role than than often black actors were given. Even I will say, role. I will say one of my favorite quotes from Felix the S Z Zackle character is the fact that he continually refers to things as hunky dunky. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everything hunky is hunky, and um. And you know, there's a he, we talked about how he is so, um, you know, reluctant about this marriage to John Sloan that he's this reluctant witness to their way that they keep trying to have an aside, um, with this like local judge that they keep bringing in and throwing in and out of windows. Um, but he, the one point, the way he gets to postpone the wedding is he gets everyone to believe that the baby swallowed this giant ass watch. Just like lock and pocket watch. Like, yeah, why did anybody go for this? That baby is dead. That baby should swallow this like five pound watch. Um, it, that that's a great bit too. <laughs> he, fir he he firmly he firmly sticks to the rule that snitches get stitches. He refuses to give yeah. anybody away. He always keeps his mouth shut, which is uh, you know, a funny line in response to the judge asking if he'd give the bride away and him interpreting that as a statement about um, giving up information. <laughs> he's just like a really just he's just this lovely, charming um presence he has a really funny joke when they uh realize that they have a boy baby instead of a girl baby and he says it's life sometimes you get girls sometimes boys which is just like he's just like kind of the wonderful um character he's simultaneously kind of grumpy he gets into fights with the housekeeper yeah. um yeah he has real chef energy he has a, like oh, that control, of, got that, that control of the kitchen, that bossiness and and particularness. How things should be. So when he comes in and meets Una Connor, who plays Nor, who's the like housekeeper for the um, farm, and they both are like have this competing controller controllers of the house energy. Um, they definitely fuck right at the end of this movie. Those two are love each other. No, no, it's one of those. Thing. No, it's one of those. They're so combatant. They get married too. <laughs> He's the he's the Napoleon of the kitchen. He is a man who is not particularly impressive in terms of the way he carries himself or even stature or look, but he rules it with an iron fist and what he says goes. And but so does Nora. No one's going to tell Nora what to do. You don't fucking tell Nora to flip a pancake. I've never flipped a pancake, and I will not flip a pancake for you. She has the same exact like combat energy. That's why I think that they they had a lot of loss in them. The difference the, between him and Nora. Covered. The image between him and Nora is Nora doesn't really care what everybody else is doing, and he is like outwardly judging all choices of all other characters at all times. He judges Stanwick's like buying a fur coat. He judges Stanwick's 
yeah. like be, potentially marrying Gardner. He's just a standard for all these different things. But in like a kind of wonderful, like loving uncle persona, like he's clearly very protective of her, but also simultaneously thinks she constantly makes terrible decisions and is not afraid to share his opinion about anything yeah. at any time. Yeah, Nora only cares about things that like affect her Protestant specific way of life. She only cares that they're not like fucking in a bedroom without wow. being married. I mean, I, I feel like I gotta call you out now. You just said Protestant. She's yes. quite clearly she's clearly she's Catholic. Catholic. She's clearly Catholic. She's an Irish you know, housekeeper in that era. That's clearly a Catholic. Um, I, there is a lot of Protestants in Ireland, and that was a lot of what the NRA was fighting against, so it could go both ways. I'm pretty sure the, the Protestants were the people that they didn't like. The Brits. To the Irish people, the, the yes, Protestants. But there are still plenty of Irish Protestants that were part of this. That was the division. Eh. She's probably, she's probably Catholic. That's she's probably Catholic. I'm just saying this like American Protestant kind of point of view of puritanical. Puritanical. That's a better word. Thank you. Yeah. Um, let's see. So let's talk about um, but I'm gonna blink on her name because she's weirdly important for like a very small percent. Mary Lee, the character of the nurse from the original um hospital yeah. where Dennis Morgan character originally ends up. There is this this movie has like some some very weird um, components to it. And one of the weirdest is the idea that if you're in the hospital after being starved for a long period of time, that the way to go from eating um, egg in milk is to pretend is to tell one of the nurses you want to marry them and that that will make <laughs> the nurses give you better food. <laughs> It, it's like how, it's like how far did you go? I had to go all the way asking to marry her, which is a real like sex joke that they have to explain with just like asking to marry. But it is a, it's like a it's a, it would it, if you if you made that joke basically like 1970s onward, people would be like, okay, you're clearly just talking about sex. But in the 1940s, you can sort of get the idea with the the way that you have to promise her not just to be like her boyfriend like but also love. her husband. Yeah, you have to basically promise her like a ring in marriage. It's also just like, are women and just are these nurses just sitting around being like, I'm just waiting for the next guy who wants a nice steak to tell me that like he more, wants to marry yeah. me. They make it's it seem very, like that's why they became nurses was to like find an army man to marry. I mean, to be fair, there's a, probably a better argument for this in the 1940s where nursing was not necessarily like a profession that you had to get a specific degree for. Uh, quite a potential possibility that the nurses in this hospital. There's a volunteer bit, right? Like, right. There was probably you, it, the very likely chance these people, were, these people were just like high school graduates who were just like, yes, I'll just be a nurse because we're all pitching in for the war effort. Right, um, yeah. But it is a, it is a pretty funny moment because just like the idea that you can get a better meal by telling a nurse that you want to marry them, and then this becomes yeah. like the this becomes like the whole tension of the entire piece. Is that um, Dennis Morgan believes Barbara Stenwick is married the entire time, even though they haven't actually gotten married to Gardner because they can't get the, the moment with the Justice of the Beast, who is an actor from It's a Wonderful Life. He's one of the the people, I think he does the run on the bank. Um, okay. He's one of these just classic character actors you've seen and stuff. And then he's also just like the idea, like that becomes a big conflict because Morgan thinks Stanwyck is married the entire time. It doesn't relate to the end. And Morgan believes that he is engaged to be married to this woman until she randomly shows up at the end of the movie and says that she married his shipmate, the other guy that was on the raft with him, basically without telling him and out of nowhere in a, in a, in it's the one thing about the film where you're just like, you like, it's very clearly in like the 1940s screwball comedy style, a choice that was made a hundred percent to just tie up loose ends. Like, her marrying this character doesn't make any sense. There's barely seems an indication that they've spoken, but they get married. So then Dennis Morgan is completely free to, you know, get married to Barbara Stanwyck at the end of the film. And we can all be like, yay, happiness. And Sidney Greenstreet gets his kidneys and, you know, the, the good stuff happens. Breaking news. This may yes, be sir. wrong. So the actor that plays the judge, his name is Dick Elliott. His credit in It's a Wonderful Life is man on porch is this the guy that yes! says kisser? <laughs> he is the kisser one of my all-time favorite mr smoochie one of my all-time favorite characters i love this character he's now one of the patron saints of the podcast him and tom hanks we have to do dick elliott month
<laughs> uh, music Missy Smith goes watching. Um, I had any actual thought to say, and now I got yeah, all no, he's, that. He's, he's oh. a Caprica. Yeah. Okay. Um. So to so go back to to this um, fake marriage between the, or not fake marriage, but this um, engagement between the nurse and Dennis Morgan is that this is one of the like honestly super funny, um, kind of character plot moments that they don't play up at all so you don't realize how funny it is until you think about it is that even though he literally just agreed to be engaged to her so he can get a feast out of this he also is like very loyal to it he's like still like gonna follow through and go follow through with this promise that he just did for a meal he, he was gonna marry he's gonna be 40 years in a marriage that was all because he was really hungry off this raft <laughs> have three kids how'd you meet your mom I was like i just really want the steak i just really need a steak but i think that plays into the fact that we are 100 percent <laughs> supposed to believe that he is just like he is the ultimate good guy he is the war hero he is the guy who gave the guy on the raft with him his la the last ration he gave the other guy the last rations and he didn't take any and he makes this silly promise to this girl that he could so easily get out of and Clearly, because of the way his friend talks about it, we're given some indication that this is kind of a bullshit scheme that a lot of guys pull. So for him to do it would not be that ridiculous because it's just very much something yeah. that everyone was doing at that moment. But he is so loyal to the point where he won't kiss Barbara Stanwyck because she's a married woman up until the end of the film where he decides he's going to kiss the married woman to ultimately realize that Barbara Stanwyck isn't married all along. Yeah. Just a really, really, really fun film. And I think it works like for all 90 minutes. Like there's no like laws. It moves really quickly. The laughs constantly come. They find new bits to play off of this kind of confusion-based plot, which sometimes can grow tired and go exhausting. But I think they just have so much um, ideas to work with um, on this farm. Well, they also just do the really smart thing of realizing that they never try to make this something it's not. They tell you it's kind of a screwball comedy Christmas movie. It has some nice Christmas moments. You kind of feel good about the holiday season. They have some fun adventures. There's some fun food. There's some hijinks. But it also just, like, it keeps it moving. And it never tries to, like, delve deep into the dramatic stuff. Because what would make this movie slow down is if you ever tried to really, like, get, like, really dramatic sequences about why Dennis Morgan isn't going to marry the nurse or why Stanwyck isn't going to marry Reginald. And it's, like... It's a situation where, like, you know that you could do that. You could have a big sequence about why these people aren't getting married, but then that scene would just be a real drag, and no one really wants to watch that. Yeah. Um, we didn't really talk about Barbara Stanwyck that much. Yeah, so she, she, you know, is once again the best performance. I would think she, um, you know, makes the movie work. Um, I think what's different about this and some of her other comedic roles is this is the first time you really see her in over her head. Like she still seems like one of the smartest people in the room, which is what she always carries that kind of grace, that street smartness. But this is where she sees she is kind of like floundering in the scenario that she put herself in and just trying to constantly solve her way out of it and you know lie and improv her way out of these bits um, that you know she has that quick wit that can make it seem like she can get out of these moments but just kind of you know she keeps getting buried because all of a sudden there's like a different gender baby and all of a sudden there's a cow at the window and um you know she has this marriage going so it's, it, it's really weird you get to see her flustered which i found very delightful especially when She's still able to maintain everything we think about Stanwyck throughout that. Yeah, it's it's a very much like a classic screwball comedy performance where you know you would see a lot of from Cary Grant, where you would get um, someone who's clearly incredibly charming, incredibly likable, funny, interesting. Everybody just loves them the instant they walk into the sequence, and then you put them in a scenario where you're asking them to constantly. Um, be quick on their toes, jump in and out of hoops, you know, like, try. you know, it, it's a constant scenario of you think you fix the first problem to create the second problem. And then watching how these people, you know, quick talk their way out of that is just enjoyable. And when you have somebody who is as charming as Stanwyck, that just works such a, so well as a concept you, because 
you're rooting for her. So the fact that she's able to talk herself out of 19 ridiculous scenarios and convince people that they misheard her when she, you know, misgenders the baby or screws up like like basic stuff about cows. Like you understand in the film why all the characters are so charmed by her that they would ignore the obvious signs that something is happening. Like if Steinwick was less charming, you'd be like, are Dennis Morgan and Sydney Greenstreet idiots who are just like totally ignoring the fact that she clearly has no idea what she's doing in the kitchen and no idea with babies and no idea with farm animals. But she's just so charming that she's able to basically, you know, twirl everyone around her little finger and, you know, convince everyone that, you know, oh, she made a small mistake, but she fixed it. And so no one it takes like really, really long time in the film. And this is like the classic scooball family thing for anyone to even realize that there's something that could potentially be going on. Like she's able to dig herself out of the hole so many times over. Yeah. Just to have um, she's the best. <laughs> she's really fantastic. And this is like so much fun to do this month about her. Um, Zach, why don't you give us your final thoughts on Christmas in Connecticut and on a larger basis? Um, Barbara Stanwyck. This has been fun. Uh, this was your idea. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, Christmas Connected, this is the fourth time I've seen it. Um, it's because it is just like a highly watchable, even, you know, outside of Christmas, because Christmas is just the setting. And there's like a line Sydney Green Sheet, you know, throws at the end when in like, he's just like, ah, oh, what a Christmas. But otherwise, it just functions as this wonderful scoreboard comedy you can watch at any time. Um, but does have just that delightful spirit that, I think ages really well that this my my wife does not like classic films but this is one i don't feel bad about um throwing on for because i feel like it's an energy that could be relevant to today um but but i think you know the funniest of movies only get better with time because the lightness becomes something that you um you know start to really um, yearn for rather than something that you can sometimes you can treat lightness of a film as a hit like this doesn't have anything deeper to say but the more you watch it, it becomes something so comforting such as warm blanket that, that those films can really grow um this has a special energy um and i think that's true of a lot of barbara Stanwyck movies because she does has that delightful energy through you know lady eve and ball of fire that that you know even though you know, she kind of has a higher key of an energy. It still it has a warm blanket appeal to me. Um, also, with just someone we said, with just such glamour, just someone who look, you know, always knows how to to look great on screen, um, which is something that like is very specific about classic Hollywood. And I think she did better than most of the time, just how she can look great in black and white. And and, and you know, I think someone that especially at that time didn't have the like specific classic beauty of what many of the starlets had she had a very you know specific look to her but she just knew how to carry around and a lot of that we we, we say sounds like physical um looks but i think a lot of it comes from just her um aura and her personality that adds to how she appears so yeah um so you were the one who suggested doing this and you know, I'd experienced Stanwyck, but I think at the time when we started this before doing it, I didn't really understand kind of how impactful she is and how underrated she is. Um, Stanwyck is obviously has some movies that are held up with the greatest of all time. But if you really look at her entire filmography, we covered five movies that are all really good. Um, even like the least of them, Meet John Doe, is worth watching. Um, and basically like one of her movies is considered an all-time maybe two like she's not she's not given the same place in history as some other stars of the same generation which is completely unfair she is absolutely amazing and i think maybe it's because she consistently plays characters that are kind of morally ambivalent too bad um maybe it's because she doesn't always play like heroines um that it made set her apart um, she's a star. She's an absolute star every second she's on screen she has that thing that that just it factor that you see from any of the people that we hold up as classic stars of Hollywood. She's absolutely unforgettable. Any movie you watch with Barbara Stenwick, you will remember Barbara Stenwick. You'll genuinely be surprised if anyone else in the film is better than her or even close to as good as her. She consistently blows people off the screen. Um, Christmas in Connecticut is just a wonderful Christmas movie. All the other films we've covered are wonderful for a variety of different ways. She has range she can do kind of the charming screwball comedy she can play darker and more dangerous um she's really good at using her her looks and her personality and her charm to either make herself very, very likable 
and kind of the the life of the party or also can be used to really play like an ultimate seductress who's just warping people to her and making them do her bidding um she's just impressive she's really impressive in everything we've seen her do um i'm really glad we did this month i think it was a really good dive deep um it certainly leaves you with wanting more you want to watch more stanwick she's one of those people that you know there's a small list of actors when you watch like five movies there's in a row that you want more of them like a lot of times if you watch five yeah. movies in a row from a single actor you're like okay i would like something else now i would like something else different stanwick falls on the list with people like I don't know. Cary Grant's another one for me that's just like, I want to watch more. I, I don't ever feel bored with them. I just find them to be such engaging, enjoyable screen presences. In some ways, she is very much the female counterpart to Cary Grant. And it's interesting. I would have been fascinating, one, to just see a movie with the two of them together. I wonder what that would have looked like. Just the absolute... Um, <laughs> the absolute explosion that would have occurred if the two of them had just trying to go on it on set. I don't know who would have won. I don't know who would have blown the other off screen. I don't know if it would have been close, but it would have been interesting. Um, yeah, she's definitely one I want to watch more from. Uh, this was an absolutely wonderful month. So I'm really glad that you pushed so hard for it. Yeah. If there's any testament to what you're saying of how you rewatchable um, these movies are, but also how, um, you know, just generally watchable she is that we want to keep going to. This is the only marathon we have done, the only theme we have done where we both voluntarily did watch an extra movie with Remember the Night just because we you know we we had the urge for more. So this is probably one of the like um easiest to watch group of films we've had throughout yeah. all our shows. So yeah she does a lot of like short and sweet films and they're also like exceptional um we've had other marathons that have been as short but none of them have that have hit the heights in terms of quality um with that being said let's announce next month's topic we're coming back in june and we are covering uh movie adaptations of broadway musicals specifically focusing on the like the non-classical hollywood musical so a one movie in the 70s, but then majority from then onward. Um, and the purpose of this was we really wanted to be able to talk about some of the weirder choices that musicals make. And um, they start making more choices between the adaptation um, from the stage, and they also just start doing weirder stuff. And we wanted to dig into that. And we hope you will join us as we start with that. And we will be starting with the first Saturday in June covering Cabaret. That is the one from the pre-1980 that we're covering. But it also, I think, does fit into the sort of non-traditional, non-classical musical uh, trend. Uh, thank you, Zach, for uh, picking a wonderful topic for us. Um, I got you. Uh, thank you to the audience for watching. Um, please keep watching. Cleep liking subscribing send us emails look at our letterboxes look at our youtube do all the things all the come hang out no don't hang out write, with me zach and write me love people. letters right yes please write lo zach love emails um <laughs> i don't know letters you can put that pen to paper put some effort if you want me baby would you like to put your address out there so that people can send you these love letters is three one two none of your business avenue. <laughs> I just realized three one two is a real address that I had at one point, but not none of your business avenue. <laughs> um, that is wonderful. All right, folks. Uh, we will see you next month when we start covering musicals. Um, goodbye to Stanwick. Got. Hello to musicals. Um, Zach, you got a song? Let's hit it. Sure. It's that time of year. For Lucas and Zach podcast, Abu Doody Dabu Christmas Badoody.